imagine. You lived in the same house for nearly 40 years. You've raised children who are now having their own children. You've hosted parties, made beautiful memories, and never once had to think twice about going to the faucet to get water. Now imagine that changing in a blink of an eye. That is reality for Joe and Kathy Wittekamp. Just this year, they learned their private well in the town of Campbell is contaminated with high levels of PFAS, a group of toxic chemicals commonly found in firefighting foam. PFAS can build up in the body over time and are linked to many health issues, including increased cholesterol levels, thyroid disease, decreased vaccine response in children, and increased risk for kidney and testicular cancer. Now, the Wittekamps are forced to rely on bottled water in five-gallon jugs as their drinking water source, and they're not the only ones. There are 60 known PFAS contamination sites across Wisconsin. In today's episode, we'll hear from people in the La Crosse area who are fighting for safe drinking water and look at how a bill moving through the state legislature could help bring solutions. From Clean Wisconsin, this is State of Change. I'm Molly Dove. So we're first going to start this episode with a little trip down to the town of Campbell, just outside of La Crosse on the southwestern side of the state. I met some residents in the town's community center. From grad parties to retirement celebrations, many community members use the building to come together. But now reserving the facility comes with a warning. The water is not safe to drink. In May, the center turned off its water fountains after tests revealed PFAS contamination. Wisconsin's Department of Health Services has set a recommended limit for two of the most dangerous types of PFAS chemicals at 20 parts per trillion. But community buildings like the center and homeowners across town are finding out their levels are higher. In October of 2020, we were first notified that there was a possibility of PFAS contamination in our drinking water. That's Lee Donahue. She's the town of Campbell's health, education, and wellness board supervisor and a resident experiencing PFAS contamination herself. Our town clerk got a call from the mayor's office, the city of La Crosse, who told us that PFAS had been found in two municipal wells that are situated on French Island within the town of Campbell and that there was a possibility that a small neighborhood could have been impacted by firefighting activities by City of La Crosse firefighters. It was a day that made your heart stop to think that the water you had been drinking had contamination of these chemicals that are in this specific firefighting foam, the AFFF firefighting foam. And at the time we thought, well, just a small neighborhood, we can figure this out. And then it quickly became apparent that it was not confined to a small neighborhood, that actually the contamination was much more widespread than originally thought. And so quickly, between October and Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, neighbors started to question that the contamination was limited to such a small area that's only three or four or five blocks big. 
And when the city refused to do additional testing outside of that neighborhood, we started testing on our own. And unfortunately, we discovered that our worst suspicions were confirmed. What's it like to live with that burden of not being able to use the water in your own home? It's an inconvenience, and it's, it's also um, it's a tremendous mental burden because you have to change your entire lifestyle. You're so used to going over to that faucet and just turning it on to fill the coffee pot, to fill the dog dish, to wash your vegetables, to do all of the normal things, fill a pot of water, to make macaroni and cheese. Brush your teeth. Brush your teeth, that's right. We all have a bottle of water in our bathroom that we use to rinse our toothbrush now. It changes your entire lifestyle. Joe and Kathy, what was it like when you found the contamination in your drinking water? So we really didn't start hearing about it a lot or think it was affecting us until February. And I remember we were helping some friends at a flower shop and a neighbor was there and, and she said, oh, you're going to get your well test. And it's like, no. But then that's when we heard that the town had tested the town hall, the uh, library, and the community center. And when we heard that the library was elevated, we decided we were going to test, and we had a test on our own. And I think, and that was February 21st, I think, that we tested. And the library's a block and a half from our house, so suddenly it was right in our neighborhood. And I think we got our results on March 11th. This friend tested on the same day, so she called us and said, hey, did you get your results? And our t results were above. And 25.4 with the limit being at 20. Mm -hmm. And so when we first heard a, another friend that lives over by the airport that they were elevated, that's when we changed our practices at home as far as drinking water. And it was before we even tested. And he kind of balked a little bit. And it's like, as a nurse and knowing how long we've lived here, no, we're changing it now. So we're glad that we did. We were uh, filling five-gallon uh, jugs of water at Festival Grocery Store and multiple times a week and hauling 40-pound jugs For three or four out weeks. of the store, into the car, from the car, up into the kitchen. And then, you know, uh, like she was talking, you have to have water at the uh, sink in the bathroom. And, you know, you think about it, you're in that fog, getting ready to start your day. First thing you do is you put your toothbrush underneath the contaminated water and in the trash it goes mm -hmm. because it's a start over, you know. And you both have lived in the same house for nearly 40 years and raised children there. We have two kids. And when I look at the other people in the neighborhood and the changes of the neighborhood over the years since we moved in, there's only one other neighbor that has lived in the neighborhood as long as we have. So what, we're 37 years we've lived in our neighborhood uh, or in our house. Um, and we always talked about how great our water is. And we would take the water down to our boathouse for drinking water and can't do that anymore. And you're just finding out about the contamination now. Are you worried knowing it could have been there longer and affected the health of your children? Our kids and us, us also. Right, our children are beginning to have children. And so we don't know, nobody knows, nobody can specifically say you know, are there possible issues or not? 
So after community members started testing and many finding high levels of PFAS, what was the community's reaction to all of this? I would say as a community, we immediately wanted to notify the public. And there are still a few people that say, ah, I've lived here my whole life. I'm 70, 80, 90 years old. It's you know, I'm not going to make lifestyle changes now. But I would say the grand majority of people went, oh, my word, and immediately started uh, calling the town board members, calling the town hall, and saying, I need to get as much information as possible. And so we created a specific PFOS link on our website because at first when the city was doing the testing and they had hired an environmental group, the environmental group would not share test results with us. And so we had to go into a public campaign asking residents if they were willing to please share their test results so that other neighbors and other residents on the island could really grasp that it was much more widespread than we were originally led to believe. And I think that empowered us as a community to say, here's my number, and I want to share my number with my neighbors. Uh, there's a woman who lives about six doors away from where we're sitting right now who has the sign in her front yard, so everybody driving by can see what her number is. And unfortunately, her number is 19.2. And at that time, the city of La Crosse was providing safe drinking water to those who had a number above 20. And because she was at 19.2, they refused. Wow. But, but, actually, but that's a date and a point in time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And since then, neighbors within 5 and 6 and 10 doors from her have tested anywhere from 50 and 60 parts per trillion. But actually, in for us, we were over 20. And because we weren't in the designated area, the city provided us nothing. Um, we were actually one of the first ones that the DNR started providing um, Culligan water to. And, and then they started expanding. And I mean, the most unreal picture was seeing the Culligan um, man in his, his truck. And then they had another truck with a trailer going door to door to door, dropping off water coolers and dropping off water through the neighborhood. And, and for me, you know, it was really, really disturbing when I learned that the OS group was not sharing the test results, even with our trusted town board members. And even after multiple requests, the city would not allow it. I decided I have to be an advocate. I did not contaminate my water. It was contaminated, you know, uh, by the city. And so I actually went door to door talking to neighbors, advocating, giving them information where they could get their own water tested, uh, both either through the OS group or other locations, and became a community you know, advisor. And you know, a number of people came to me later and thanked me and said, you know, do you realize my water is contaminated also? And if not for you coming to my house and letting me know, there, there really wouldn't have been information available. So it seems so much of the burden to mitigate these effects from the PFOS contamination is placed on the shoulders of local residents. I will say the town has been 
unreal the people at the at the town of campbell have been unreal as far as the support giving out information and for a while when this all first started and we we got our didn't know our test results there was a lot on the news and you just felt like people are talking about it but we're not getting any answers from the city and i remember the one day that it was Hy-Vee and Quick Trip and CVS too that they brought pallets of water Truck and they loads. were they were being given out at the um, Olivet Church and over at Days Inn and just the community and seeing all the people there helping to give the water to people and was amazing. And we felt like somebody was listening to us, even though the town was not listening to, I'm, I'm sorry, the city was not listening to us. And, and I think that helped our community a lot, but it just, you just feel like it was falling on deaf ears. But is getting pallets of water and five gallon jugs from Culligan a viable solution in your eyes, Lee? I, I would say it's a short-term sure. solution. It was truly a short-term solution. Um, the individual bottles of water that were donated, we had actually six semi-truck loads. And so it was hundreds and thousands of cases of, of water that were donated. But the Culligan water is a much different, you know, situation. They do have bottom loading receptacles. So, you, you know, you just stick like a giant straw in it and you can draw from that so you don't have to lift, lift them up. But the State Department of Health was the organization that issued that interim water advisory. And so the DHS with the DNR are working together. Now it's, ba it's a six month advisory, which means the date that I first got water six months from that date, it will end unless another interim advisory is issued. And at this point in time, it's not clear whether that's going to happen or not, and whether it will happen only for those who exceed either the health index or the state advisory, which is 20 parts per trillion. So there could be numerous homes on the date they were tested perhaps did not meet either one of those ceilings, those thresholds that may then be ineligible. And that's a lot of the uncertainty is how are we gonna move forward? And so the town has hired a engineering firm and they are doing feasibility studies right now of how we can mitigate this so that we have plans for a long-term solution because we need to look at the funding for that long-term solution. We're in a very difficult situation where we are literally paying for a problem that we did not create and that we are not responsible for. Since 1970, Clean Wisconsin has been a trusted voice in the halls of the state capitol. That goes a long way towards encouraging decision makers to protect the water, air, and land that we all rely on. But there's another crucial component to this work, you. 
lawmakers want to hear from their constituents, speaking up can go a long way to encourage your elected officials to pass strong protections for our natural resources. You can find a list of action alerts that could use your voice today at cleanwisconsin.org act. Clean Wisconsin's Action Network is a quick and easy way to help make sure Wisconsin remains a great place to live, work, and play. You can feel good knowing you made your voice heard on important issues affecting our natural resources. Take action today. As we've been talking about, more than 60 areas across Wisconsin are experiencing PFAS contamination. In our state, there are no enforceable PFAS standards or limits, only a recommended limit from the Department of Health. So just because a well or water source sees high level of PFAS, it doesn't necessarily mean anyone is required to take action. But there is a bill currently moving through the state legislature that could change all of that. The CLEAR Act was recently introduced by Senator Melissa Agard. It's one of the most comprehensive proposals in the nation to combat PFAS pollution. So the CLEAR Act directs state agencies to develop standards and enact protective measures to keep PFAS from polluting Wisconsin's water resources and continuing to put families' health at risk. Joe, why is the CLEAR Act such a crucial component to not only cleaning up the current PFAS contamination that we're seeing, but also preventing more areas from seeing it? Uh, you know, in, in my mind, if we can have specific standards that we can hold people to account uh, is, is critical. And, you know, uh, getting levels where the DNR can actually do enforcement and where it's not just an advisory where it's actually a mandatory. Um, these are the things that, you know, this, these, the two acts that are under consideration could bring to fruition where, you know, people through no fault of their, their own have an opportunity to hold somebody to account where, you know, a problem I did not create and is gonna cost me, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to mitigate um, can be paid for by the responsible parties. What do you think, Lee? Why do you think the CLEAR Act is an important piece to the solution to cleaning up this PFAS? I think the biggest change that we require is that there isn't an advisory. An advisory is like, think about this and probably don't do it. And we need codified laws. We need statutes. We need things that have teeth that can be fully enforceable. And that is the CLEAR Act, that's the Safe Drinking Water Act, that's the Safe Groundwater Act. If I can't drink my water, I can't use the water that comes out of my hose to water my backyard garden. Um, it affects every part of our life. And in Wisconsin, where we rely heavily on recreation and tourism, and agriculture, whether that's vegetable agriculture or that's poultry and beef and cattle and dairy cows, it affects every part of our life. And those are our economic drivers. So it's not only affecting our health, it's affecting 
our state's economy. It's, it's every facet of our state is affected by PFAS. And the sooner that we have laws and statutes that can regulate that and money that's set aside to remediate it and to test for it, because you don't know you would have it unless you test. Everyone has to test. And that's private wells as well as municipal wells and, and regardless of size. Just because you're a municipality of 50,000, you may be a municipality of 5,000. Those 5,000 people have the same right, the same basic human right to safe drinking water. And that's what is so important about these acts that are in front of the state legislature right now. And it's, it's not, when we talk about testing, everyone's brought up testing. It's not like you can go to the, get it tested and it costs 30 bucks, okay? The tests are anywhere from 400 to 400. Our initial test was $425. We've just done a recent test that was over 600. Mm -hmm. So how can a individual person do that on a regular basis just to make sure that they're safe? It's not feasible. There's a lot of people that chose not to test, and thank goodness the DNR came in and did their testing because they couldn't afford that four to $600 test. Well, in fact, they're assuming, well, my neighbor was only 10, so I'm, so I'm probably 10 also. And in fact, uh, we have found variations, you know, property to property, location to location, and over a period of time that would say there's way too much variance to re, you know, rely on what your neighbor has for results. Um, I would probably say that the sharpest arrow you know, we have in our quiver is education and awareness. More people need to become aware of the problem. More people need to become educated. And I really see that we lean on our partners, our neighbors, Minnesota, and Michigan who have done so much work, so much research, continually updating their laws and their statutes regarding PFAS. The Minnesota Pollution Control uh, Agency is doing amazing work right now. And we should not be falling behind our neighbors. We should be building upon each other's shoulders and learn from our neighbors instead of spending all of that same money to do things that they've already researched. Let's take advantage of the money that they've spent and let's partner together actively and say, you cover this segment, we'll cover this segment. Michigan, you cover this segment. New York, New Hampshire, whomever, all across the nation, how much better of a handle would we get on this problem and how much quicker could we move ahead? We could be so much more efficient and effective by just partnering with others who've been dealing with a lot of this PFAS contamination for decades and decades. We need to be smart.
As Wisconsinites continue to struggle with PFAS pollution in their communities, they're looking to lawmakers to take action. And the first step is setting comprehensive standards that protect public health. And the CLEAR Act does just that. There is no time to waste. Every day without action only makes the problem more difficult to solve. So send a message to your legislators and tell them to support the CLEAR Act. Use Clean Wisconsin's Action Network to send this urgent message today by going to www.cleanwisconsin.org act. Make your voice heard. This episode of State of Change was produced by me, Molly Dove. State of Change is a production of Clean Wisconsin, the state's oldest and largest environmental nonprofit, protecting and preserving our water, air, and natural heritage since 1970. If you like our show, and we hope you do, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating. It helps others interested in Wisconsin's environment find us. Check us out at cleanwisconsin.org, the digital home of Clean Wisconsin. There you can learn more about environmental issues in Wisconsin, subscribe to our email newsletter, and take action to be a voice for our natural resources. Like something you heard? Have a question for our staff? Drop us a line at info at cleanwisconsin.org. I'm Molly Dove. Thanks for listening to State of Change.